Hi, everybody. It's John Dickerson. Welcome or welcome back to the Connection Point podcast. At the end of this episode, I'd encourage you to take a moment and check out cp.news on your web browser. Connection Point is a church that is fully online, and you can follow Jesus one day at a time from anywhere in the world with us. Well, I pray this message inspires you and challenges you today to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. All right, welcome, welcome. If you're a guest today, we're just so glad you're with us. We're in part three of a series called Lead Them. And even if you don't think of yourself as a leader, this is for you. I'm a youngest. Most of my life, I did not think of myself as a leader. But the reality is, God has given you influence on the people in your proximity in life. That might be at work, might be in your home, might be in your school. And in this series, we're really asking the question, how do you get God's best for the people that you care about? If you're a parent, that's hopefully your kids. If you're a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle. If you're a student, it might be uh, yourself as well as your classmates. How do you influence those people toward what's best and toward God. And we're going to dive into this really interesting story of this guy whose kind of one-page summary of his life is that he was a good leader. But right before we do, I thought we should have a quick laugh. My wife and I sometimes have these moments in our marriage where um, one of us asks the question maybe from more of an emotional place and the other one answers the question from a logical place. I'm not going to say which is which. I'm not going to say which, but I think this happens in a lot of relationships. And the other night we were uh, flipping through the channels and this TV show called Modern Family was on. And the characters in this show are, are, are pretty funny. And there's this scene where exactly that happens. Uh, the wife in this case asks this question kind of from an emotionally vulnerable place and the husband just answers like factually. And um, it's kind of funny. See if you think it's as funny as me and Mel did. Go ahead and take a look. Non-stop flight from Maui to Los Angeles. Thank you for choosing Continental Airlines. Thank you. You know, honey, if anything were ever to happen to me, I would want you to get remarried. Okay. Mm. I was a little fast. Oh, I, ju- I just want to make you happy. Okay. Any idea of who you would Vicky marry? Vicki Conroy, probably. She works in my office. She's very organized. The kids love her. Are you guys talking about Vicky? Yeah. Mom, she's awesome. <laughs> Just so you know, if something were to happen to me, I, I That's won't. almost going to happen to you, all right? <laughs> well, if you didn't catch that at the end there, she said, oh, something's going to happen to you, all right. So, well, speaking of funny, we're studying the guy with probably the funniest name in the Bible. His name is Jehoshaphat. Uh, but he had a good life. He was a good leader. He wasn't perfect. But he was consistent, and we're learning from him. And we're actually going to drop into a part of the story where they're in the middle of a crisis. It's in chapter 20, verse 2 of this book of the Bible we're in. It says, messengers came and told Jehoshaphat, quote, a vast army is marching against you. Now, this was not hypothetical. This was not off in the distance. This is like right at the boundaries of our territory. There are armed men with swords and shields and spears and clubs and bows and arrows, and they want to come in. They want to burn our crops. They want to kidnap and enslave our wives and kids and kill all the men. This is a life or death threat. And before we go too deep in the story, I want to ask you, where in your life right now does it seem like an army has surrounded you? Where in your life, or maybe it's in the life of that person you love and you want to lead them, and it just seems like there's an army surrounding you. Have you ever felt that way? I I sure have. I mean, the world we're trying to raise our kids in, as well as just in our own lives. I mean, between sickness and finances and relationships, sometimes it just seems like we're surrounded. When you're surrounded by a vast army, and when you find yourself powerless to protect the people that you love... What can you do? Well, last weekend, we learned about one of the armies that has surrounded uh, the young people in our generation. It's a philosophy called secular humanism. And unlike Christianity, it doesn't raise a flag and say, hi, I'm a secular humanist. Here are the five points of what I believe. Secular humanism is more just kind of, it's in the water that we all drink. It's, It's in the average social media post from a celebrity or an influencer. It's in the average school curriculum. 
And, and here were the outcomes we saw. If you missed last week, we had a guest speaker. He was phenomenal. And you can catch that message by our podcast or our website. It was a great message. And here's one of his slides. He said that kind of the result of a person believing the secular humanist outlook. And, and what is that? Well, essentially, it replaces God being at the center which used to be the case in the U.S., even though the U.S. has never been perfect, far from it. But there's a reason our money says in God we trust. And you find Bible verses etched in the marble at Harvard and all the initial universities. But God has been removed. And who's been put in God's place? We have. That's why it's called secular humanism. And that feels really good to be in the middle of the universe. It means you can do whatever you want. So things like follow your heart, you know, do what makes you happy. The problem is, and Aaron phrased this so well, he said, it's like poison wrapped in bubble gum. It tastes really good. But the problem is, and we see this, young people are being raised and we're, we're telling them, hey, follow your heart. But it turns out, if their heart is to touch someone inappropriately, they get in big trouble for it. And they're like, well, wait, you told me to follow my heart. What, what's going on? There's all these rules that contradict. Do whatever you feel like. Oh, but actually, you, we didn't tell you, you can't actually do all this stuff. You'll get canceled or you'll go to jail. Or, and so young people are growing up, they're like, well, well, how do I know what's right or wrong? And it's kind of crowdsourced, like... Well, if nine out of ten people say it's, it's right, then it's right. But we know from history, like Nazi Germany, that doesn't necessarily lead to what's actually right. And Aaron summarized that the average normal effect on a young person right now is that they're confused, they're sexually broken, they're lonely, they're anxious. And this is a result of the world, the culture that they've been born into. So what we're learning as a movement, and if you're a guest, I would just invite you. Um, this is kind of a family talk series, but we invite you to be part of our family. And what we're learning as a family of Jesus followers is we can't just do what everyone else is doing when it comes to raising our kids or influencing the people we love. We can't just do what everyone else is doing and hope that we somehow get a different result. Also, we can't just do what all our neighbors are doing and what non-Christians or non-serious followers of Jesus are doing and hope that if we just sprinkle in a little bit of God, we'll somehow get a different result. Where does it end? Where does secular humanism really end? Well, we could show you statistically, but I want to show you some faces of real people. Uh, here's Katie Meyer. Katie worked her entire life playing soccer, hoping, dreaming for a college scholarship. Not only did she get a college scholarship, it was to Stanford, like one of the top universities in the world. When I was a journalist, I did a whole series on athletic scholarships. Very few parents realize that even if your kid plays Division I, there's a very small number of scholarships. So they've got to be the best of the best of the best. And that's what Katie Myers worked her entire life for. She actually won as the goalkeeper for Stanford the 2019 NCAA Division I Women's Soccer Championship. I mean, national champion. You, you just don't get higher than that. One of the best in the world. Made all these different all-tournament teams, all-region teams. But on March 1st of this year, Meyer's roommate walked into their dorm at Crothers Hall at Stanford University to discover that she had taken her life. She had ended her life. This is a tragic example of the anxiety, the loneliness, the depression that is the norm among young Americans, even among many who other people would look at and say, well, they've made it, but they still are plagued by the anxiety and depression that's just kind of becoming the norm. And we don't have to wonder where it's coming from. It's coming from this belief system. Here are a few other tragic examples of folks in Katie's generation who have really achieved what everyone thinks will give you happiness, but found it so empty that they ended up taking their lives. Aaron Carter, musician who recently ended his life. Avicii, incredibly gifted, like a once-in-a-generation musical gift. At age 28, multimillionaire, millions of followers on social media, ended his life. Similar for Caitlin Lone, for Mia, and for Simone. A new study came out just this last week. It was a nationwide study of Gen Z. And it actually came out of South Bend, Indiana, the researchers. And here's what they found. 42% of Gen Z are diagnosed with a mental health condition. In other words, if you could take 100 young people from about the age of uh, 12 to 35, and you could get them all to proper medical care, 
42 out of the 100 would be diagnosed by professionals with a mental health condition. And if you're older, you might think, whoa, what's wrong with these kids? Are they just mentally weak? That's not it at all. It's the world they've been born into, the amount of information, the amount of social pressure. It's ultimately the consequences of secular humanism, this giant contradiction of do whatever you want, but actually all these other things are off limits, and there's not really a reason why. They just are, and it might change what's right and wrong. So good luck. Another example of this um, we saw during the Olympics, one of my favorite athletes, Simone Biles. Simone, undeniable, one of the most talented, probably in her particular discipline of gymnastics, biologically, physically, the most talented person in the world, just unparalleled. And yet we saw her on the world stage, though emotionally she's clearly a very strong person to get to where she is and to have the accomplishments she has, but we saw her kind of cave in emotionally under anxiety. And I don't know about you, but I, I was feeling so much compassion for her in that moment, knowing she spent her whole life to get to this stage, and now she has to withdraw and essentially say, the reason is my, my body's fine, but my mind isn't. One thing I had noticed as I was watching those Olympics, before she withdrew, and I don't mean this in a judgy way, I just mean this as an observation. Before she withdrew, I kept seeing on the uh, TV images like this, where she'd be looking at her phone. And I remember telling my wife, I don't know how someone could function mentally at the highest level and constantly be checking what does everyone else think of me. I mean, I know what I do is like way down here compared to what she does. And if I was constantly checking to see what does everyone think of me, who's saying something negative about me, I would have too much anxiety to do it. And I remember saying that and thinking that and talking about it with Mel, and then a day or two later, she withdraws. But this is the norm, right? For, for the generation she's born in, do they, do they know anything different? And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that generation, but are we leading them to know how to be mentally healthy, etc.? You know, I've learned that every person, Scripture teaches this, and you just see it in reality. Every person is constantly asking three questions about themselves. You're asking these about yourself. You're asking, am I valuable? You're asking, am I wanted? You're asking, am I liked? Everyone from age nine to age 99 is asking these. The difference is the 99-year-old might ask it twice a year. The nine-year-old might ask it 2,000 times in a day. And this is just human nature. The younger we are, we're wired. We're like sticky tape. And we're asking, who likes me? Where am I valued? Am I wanted? And the danger of the generation we're in is not that the humans are somehow different. It's that the technology is now giving thousands of answers to that question every day. But many of those answers set people on a faulty foundation. Here's what a pediatrician, a doctor for kids and teenagers from our own church told me about two weeks ago. She said, John, every day I see kids and teens who are physically unwell. They're, they're ill. And it's not because they have any kind of disease. It's because they're on their phone until like two or three in the morning every night. And a lot of times their parents don't know it. Their parents go to bed. They get back on their phone. And, and many of my kids are sick because they're just literally sleep deprived. And the parents just aren't keeping track. I know from living in Silicon Valley, I've got friends who work at Facebook and Google and Apple. These smartest people in the world are paid very, very well to create apps that addict you to your phone. We all know this. Uh, and it's so hard to put it down, no matter what age we are. This pediatrician continued and said that sometimes she'll have the parent leave the room and talk with like a middle school or a teenage girl kind of private, one-on-one -on -one with their own doctor, and when she mentions the thought of removing their phone or taking it away, there are some who have all-out panic attacks. Now, is that the fault of that girl? In my opinion, that's the fault of those parents. But what the phone does, and please hear me, I'm not up here preaching, I'm not like anti-phone or anti-any social media app. I once met someone and they're like, oh, I know you don't like whatever. No, I'm, all that stuff is just, it's just tools. But what I'm saying is, as parents, we've got to be aware 
that those tools are giving answers to our kids of whether or not they're liked, whether or not they're valuable, and often. For our daughters, it's going to give them an answer that they're liked and valuable if they look a certain way. For our sons, it's going to feed them other information. Here's a quote from a child protective services worker here in Hendricks County. I talked to this guy about three weeks ago. He said, John, in Hendricks County, we're closing out 10 to 15 child pornography cases per week. He said, here's what's unique about them. Nearly all of them are kids taking pictures of themselves because they've met someone else online who's coached them to do it. And often it's another minor who has coached them to do it. He said, just here in Hendricks County, 40 to 60 of these a month. Now, these are just the ones that they know about and that they actually have the resources to close out. So moms and dads, I'm not here to freak you out, but these are just facts. And I want to encourage you, are you aware of what's going on in your children's lives? And this leads us right back to that question, when you're surrounded by a vast army, right? Because it's like, oh my goodness, I mean, there's, there's what they're exposed to by their friends, there's their phone, there's all these, like, what I feel like I'm surrounded as a parent. How do I do this? If I could answer that for you, would you want to know? Or better yet, if I could tell you positively how to raise someone who's stable, responsible, God-fearing, and how to have that influence on them, would you want to know what the Bible says about that? Even if you're here and your children, they're now adults, and you want to influence them towards being a stable, responsible, God-fearing person, how do we do that? Well, that is what we're learning, so let's dive back into the story. Jehoshaphat gets the message, a vast army is marching against you. This is a life or death threat, Jehoshaphat knows. Now, like a lot of problems in life, he could close his eyes and plug his ears and be like, no, no, don't tell me, and just hope for the best, but then that army's going to come in and destroy him. Instead, he acknowledges the problem. Look at verse 3. Jehoshaphat was terrified. It's okay as a parent or a grandparent or as a student, if you look up at what's happening in the world and it terrifies you, that probably just means you're paying attention. He was terrified. And then what does he do? I love this. So he begs the Lord for guidance. When you're disturbed by what you're seeing, do you beg the Lord for guidance or do you automatically jump to some human solution? Human solutions aren't bad, but don't skip this step. He begs the Lord. Mom or dad, grandma or grandpa, high school student, when was the last time you begged the Lord for something? You're just like, God, we need you to show up. And notice what he begs the Lord for. He doesn't beg the Lord for deliverance, which is what I would ask for. Like, please just send fire from heaven and destroy these enemies. He acknowledges that that's probably not realistic. Though God's all-powerful, God has allowed this situation, and so he begs God for guidance. In other words, God, uh, as I raise my three kids, it's not just, oh, Lord, you know, help me to uh, seal them away in the bunker somewhere so they're not exposed to anything in the world. No, it's God, guide me to raise them to live for you in this world. I don't know how to do that, but I'm begging you, Lord, give me guidance. And then look at his spiritual leadership. He calls all the people of the nation to come and pray to God. So verse four, people from all around came to seek the Lord's help. What can you do when you're surrounded by a vast army? What can you do when you don't know how to lead the people you love to God? Big idea today, seek the Lord's help. Seek it as a way of life. We're going to see for Jehoshaphat, this was not like the crisis hits and he hasn't talked to God in five years, but all of a sudden he calls out to God. That's an okay way to reignite your relationship with God, but all the better to have a way of life that you're constantly seeking God. And then when the crisis hits, it's just the norm. And you've already got this big view of God and the people you love already know we're gonna look to God. I love that last week our speaker said, for us to lead people to Jesus in the cultural, spiritual battle that we're in for minds and for souls, it's not hard, it's impossible. I love it that he said that because it's totally true. And it would be impossible if God wasn't with us, but God is with us. Parent, grandparent, high school student, we absolutely cannot do this without God. On the flip side, we absolutely can do this with God. 
There's a great verse in the book of Philippians that says, in Christ, through Christ, I can do all things. Sometimes people take it out of context. They're like, see, you know, through Christ I can do all things, therefore I'm claiming the Rolls Royce, and I'm going to get the Rolls Royce because it says in Christ I can do all things. That's not really the, the, I don't think, the point of the verse, but raising your son or daughter, your grandchild, your niece, your nephew, being a positive spiritual influence on your peers at school, choosing to be a follower of Jesus in a generation turning away from him, that verse is 100% for that. That verse is 100% saying, God has a calling on your life. He's placed the people who you have influence on, they're in proximity to you because Almighty God designed it that way. He wants you to be their dad. He wants you to be their friend. He wants you to be their grandma. And you can absolutely claim that that promise that in Christ, you can be the spiritual leader he's called you to be. 2 Peter 1 verse 3 says, in Christ, you have everything necessary for life and for godliness. If you'll really look to God as a way of life, he will provide what you can't. If you'll really look to God as a way of life, he'll show up when you don't know what to do. And by the way, that's just a matter of time till you don't know what to do. With teenagers for sure, but also with ourselves as we age and sometimes with our own spouse as we're saying, Lord, I want to lead my spouse to you, but I don't know how to do that. He will show up when you don't know what to do if you're looking to him is a way of life. Verse five, Jehoshaphat stands before this community. Notice this, in front of the new courtyard. So they had just done renovations. They had just improved the temple of the Lord. What does that tell us? That tells us it wasn't neglected. The house of God wasn't neglected. It was the norm. It was their way of life to invest their time and their resources into the house of God. So now when the crisis occurs, they're not having to, you know, push open creaky, dusty doors and, you know, things are falling down from the roof. Everyone's used to go into the house of God before the crisis. Verse 6, he prays, O Lord, God of our ancestors, you alone are the God who is in heaven. You are the ruler of all the kingdoms of the earth. You are powerful and mighty. No one can stand against you. Just put yourself in the story for a moment, Okay. These people, it's an agrarian society, meaning they're still farming with their hands. They don't have tractors. They don't have electricity. They don't have modern engines. There's no tanks. There's no guns. Warfare is this brutal hand-to-hand swords, spears, bows and arrows. And they live at a time in history when they've seen fields burning and they've seen people pillaged and they've seen slaves taken away and they know that they're hours or days away from this larger army coming to overthrow them kill all the men enslave the women they want kill the women they don't want take the kids take everything of value and i just love it that this is a real life or death threat and this leader who wasn't perfect but was consistent says god you're bigger you're bigger than that army Do you know right now that God's bigger than whatever army has surrounded you? Whether it's surrounded the people you love or you yourself, he is bigger. And Jehoshaphat, because he was constantly fixing his eyes on God and reading the law of God, which is the Bible, when a crisis hit, it was natural for him to say, I don't know what's going to happen, but I do know that God is bigger. Then he's praying, and in verse 10, he's pleading to God, and he says, now God, see what these armies are doing. And I think we, in a similar way as a movement, we can say, God, we see that the odds are against our kids in this world. We see that even if we feel like we did everything right by the world's standards and they get a Division I college scholarship at the best college in the country, they might still, I mean, we see that the odds are against them. And we're desperate for your help. Here's a map of what was happening This is actual geography over in Israel. You can go check it out today. The kingdom of Judah is the pink territory there in the middle. And that's where Jehoshaphat was the king. These surrounding nations are the ones that are about to invade. Now, I had our team kind of change this map up. And I put you and yours in the middle. Because there are these surrounding armies, right? Maybe for your family, it's the army of addiction. Maybe it's the army of broken thinking. Maybe it's the army of depression. Maybe it's just being separated from God. Perhaps you don't know for sure that you have a relationship with God. You can know that today. Or or maybe you have it, but you're like, my son or daughter doesn't. 
What's the army that's coming at you? Identity confusion, sexual confusion, suicidal thoughts. I want to give you three battlefields that we've got to be monitoring as we think about the territory of our sons and our daughters, our loved ones. And uh, if you're a parent or a grandparent, this one's worth taking a picture of because this is one of those kind of timeless things as you spiritually lead the people you love to be asking yourself as you say, hey, honey, how was your day to your daughter or to your son? Hey, how, how was practice? What's going on? You want to be constantly looking for three things. One, where is she finding her identity? And she's not going to say, well, Dad, I'm finding my identity in how I look. She's not going to say that. But, but you're talking intentionally as a spiritual leader to your son or your daughter or your grandchild or to your friend or to your spouse, and you're listening for that. And you're gently guiding and you're praying along the way knowing that the safest thing for them is to find their identity in Christ. So if your daughter's like, man, look at this video. You know, I wore this cute thing and everyone liked it and has way more views than any of my other videos. Well, cool, that's good for you. But I just want you to know if you didn't look cute, you would still have the same identity. You'd still be just as loved by God and just as loved by us. They're also constantly deciding what defines right or wrong. So I want as a parent or a grandparent or a friend to my peers in high school to be noticing, okay, are they defining right and wrong based on, oh, you know, everyone at the Grammys said this is wrong, therefore it's wrong. Or are they basing it on their feelings or what everyone at school is saying? Or can I gently lead them, this is the goal, to, well, I define right and wrong based on what God's word says. Third thing that everyone's looking for, these repeat what we covered earlier, is acceptance. Everyone's looking for loving, unconditional acceptance. And one of the great dangers of secular humanism is that on the surface, it's very accepting. And, and, and people can confuse acceptance for true, unconditional love. If someone says, I accept you no matter what, and you're like, well, I, I just, my heart is telling me to go, you know, run in front of a train and kill myself. And they say, I accept that, you do you. Is that actually loving? It's not. But when someone is in an emotional whirlwind and someone just says, I accept you no matter what, it can really feel like unconditional love. So if we're not careful, the people we love might perceive that they're experiencing more unconditional acceptance outside of the body of Christ than inside. And so, so how do we do this? This means that as a parent, I'm monitoring who are my daughter's closest friends. Are any of them followers of Jesus? Oh, that one's a follower of Jesus. We're having that one over. We're, we're, we're going to like, hey, you guys want to go do something special? Like, I'm going to intentionally get my kids around friends their age who would repeat these three themes to them. Here's our goals for your child or your loved one. Uh, and I hope you know, I actually pray this almost every night. I kneel at the side of my bed. If you're a teenager here or a young adult, I pray this for you. I hope you know we love you. We want the best for you. We don't, we're not trying to label you with any of this research about the next generation. We just care about you. We really want what's best for you. And from our newborns, we had some beautiful newborns this week in our movement, all, all the way up into the 30s. Here's what I pray for our sons and daughters as a movement. First, God, would you help them to find their identity in Christ? And by the way, everything we plan from Kid City all the way up through student ministry and beyond is funneled toward this. We want a 16, 17, 18-year-old who grows up in this church to authentically, genuinely be able to say, my identity is in Christ. I might be good at sports. I might be good at academics. People might say I'm cute. I might have a boyfriend who everyone, but those aren't my identity. My identity is in Christ. We want that for them because that's going to set them up for eternal life and a life of freedom here in this life. Secondly, we want them to be in a place where they say, my truth is God's word. So whatever the hot topic of the day is, abortion or some moral issue or whatever else, I'm aware of what the world says and what all my friends think, but my definition of right and wrong always goes back to the Bible because I know that expresses the heart of God. And then the third one, all three of these only God can do when you, if you're paying attention in the heart of your child or your loved one. 
And this third one especially, this one's on us to do our part. That a 16, 17, 18-year-old who has grown up in this church would genuinely say, the most sincere love I've ever experienced anywhere is with Jesus people. It's not out there with some non-Christian group or anti-Christian group. I might have experienced some love in my band or in my athletic team, but the most unconditional, authentic love I've ever experienced is with Jesus, people. I'm praying this for your kids. Please join me in praying this for your kids. Okay, back to the story. So he's praying to God. He says, oh, our God, won't you stop these armies, these armies that are coming to kill our people? We are powerless against this mighty army. Maybe you feel that way. Maybe you're you're in this series and you're like, John, this series is making me really uncomfortable because I see the gap between where my loved one is and where they need to be, and I don't know how to close that gap. You feel powerless. That's okay. So was Jehoshaphat. And here's what you do when you feel powerless. You say this, we do not know what to do. Own it. But God, we are looking to you for help. Have you ever had a moment like that? Where you just say, God, I don't know. I, I see where my son or daughter, where they're making their identity. It's, it's not quite where it needs to be. I'm, I'm trying, but man, I'm losing my influence. How do I get them there, God? I don't know the way forward, but my eyes are fixed on you. One translation puts it this way. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. So how do you do this as a way of life? I mean, what does it actually look like today to be a spiritual leader who has your eyes fixed on God? What are the lifestyle habits of a spiritual leader? Here's the first one. Be a regular in the house of God. We saw this, that Jehoshaphat, it was normal for him to go to the temple of the Lord. It's a physical place. It was normal for the people to gather there. And it had been the norm leading up to the crisis that they'd been taking great care of that space. And so what does this mean if you're a parent or a grandparent? If you're a high school student and you've got a friend who you want to lead to Jesus, do everything you can to get them here. Now, of course, there's a lot for you to do the other six days of the week as well. But there's something that happens here and at our Avon location as well. And it's not because there's fairy dust in the drywall. It's not the building itself, but it is the people together. There's something supernatural that happens when the people of God gather together. I think one of the most dangerous lies of the last 20 years that a lot of Christians have believed and repeated is this little lie. I don't have to go to church because I am the church. False. You're not the church. I'm not the church when I'm out there on my own. We are the church when we're together. We don't need to be in this building, but we do need to be together to be the church. The church is plural. It's not a singular thing. The church is followers of Jesus together. And so what happens when you gather here is other people speak into the life of your son or your daughter and into your life and into the life of your spouse or the person you're dating. Second, make the word of God a voice in your conversation. And this means learning to, and I hope you started to sense this in those three questions. Where are they finding their identity? Where are they finding their truth? Where are they finding their unconditional love? As parents, we're not just trying to like drive them around to all the things and survive. Granted, that's part of it, okay? But on those drives and at bedtime and at breakfast, we're asking them questions not to pass the time, not to get them to like us, but to figure out where are they finding their identity? Where are they finding their acceptance? And then we're gently guiding them. Uh, and you ask the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will lead you in this. And then you weave God's word into it. Now, please, don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that your you know, 16-year-old daughter tells you how she's feeling and pours out her heart. And you say, well, you know, in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, it says that... Uh, you shouldn't do this, and so you're way off track. You know, I'm not, please don't weaponize the Bible to harm the people in your house, okay? But please do know the principles of God so that as she's wrestling through how she looks and the guy she likes, 
that you're able to weave in that her identity is from her father in heaven and has nothing to do with how she looks. And that if her body was completely destroyed in some freak accident, she'd be just as loved, she'd be just as valuable, she'd be just as precious to God, to you, and to anyone who's connected to God. And you're weaving in the principles of God. And you're pointing to the promises of God. And hopefully there are some times where you're actually opening the book. You know, hopefully your kids grow up and there's some times where they run downstairs and you're reading your Bible. And they're not like, whoa, I've never seen you read the Bible before. If so, just get going now. We'll give you one today. We'll give you a really good one. We love giving them away. But the, the point is not some legalistic, oh, I have to check off. I read this many chapters. That's not it. We're trying to renew our minds, see the world the way God sees it, see ourselves the way God sees it, and really kind of uh, view our kids as apprentices or our loved ones, and we're trying to help them see the world the way God sees it by weaving it into normal conversation. Third, lifestyle habit of a spiritual leader. Be part of the plural of God's people. We already addressed this on actually gathering here weekly, which requires prioritizing God. There's going to be times where you say, we prioritize God over athletics. We prioritize God over um, other things. If we're not sick or out of town, we're in the house of God. Now, I'm not saying this some legalistic thing of we judge you if you're not here for, you know, an end-of-the-year championship tournament or something. That's not it. But you just as a family say, God is our number one priority, and you model that every weekend. Because parents, someday we're not going to be in the room. We're not going to be there for our kids. And they could go to the highest level of athletics. That's not going to give them everything they need in life. But God will give them everything they need in life. And so we make it a point to be here on weekends. And then we make it a point to be part of the people of God, meaning in the church. And it doesn't have to be connection point. I hope it is for you. But it's a Bible-believing church that's all about Jesus. That's always God's will for you. And you need to be known. You got to lean in and get to know some other people who know you. You can do that by serving. You do that by getting in a group. And have your kids grow up seeing you as a dad have some Christian brothers or you as a mom have some Christian sisters. I wonder, have you ever had this happen where with your kids or with your spouse, you keep telling them something and it just doesn't break through? It's like water off the back of a duck. Like, you know, then someone else, total stranger, tells them the exact same thing and they're like, oh yeah. Have you ever had that happen? I, it's happened to me, and, and Mel's had it happen where she's been telling me, and then someone, and she's like, John, I've told you that 50 times. <laughs> what happens when you really live in the plurality of the people of God is that there will be people who speak to your spouse, your son, your daughter, your friend, your loved one. They'll say something that you've been trying to say. They'll say it just a little different, or they might say it the exact same way, but because of who they are, all of a sudden it hits. All of a sudden it connects. And when each of us is uh, following God by serving one another, we sometimes get to be the speaker of that thing, and sometimes we get to be the recipient, and the people we love who we're bringing with us, they for sure get to be the recipients. Uh, Here's an example. Uh, This is a celebrity soccer player from England where they call them footballers. And uh, he's reunited with a mentor from his boyhood who he thought had passed away. Um, And check out the influence of someone who took the time to invest in a young person in this video. Go ahead and take a look. Hello, Ian. Long time no see. It's a bigger. <laughs> You're alive. I'm alive, he says. How are you doing? I can't believe that someone said he was dead. As you see, I'm very passionate, and I'm so glad you've done so well with yourself. I don't know what to say. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. You know, Paul the Apostle once wrote, I have no greater joy than to see that my children are walking in truth. Now here's the irony. Paul the Apostle didn't have any kids. I know some of you in this series, you're like, well, John, this is all great, but I don't have kids. Paul had spiritual kids. You know, we're the family of Christ. 
And for us to really stand against the armies that are coming against us, to raise a generation as we're called, it takes each of us doing our part. And for some of you in this series, God's calling you to have that kind of influence on a young person. Others of you, you're a parent or your grandparent, and God's using this series to kind of wake you up. And, and God's actually forcing you to a decision. Are you going to be a spiritual leader or not? Now, here's the great thing. God has placed you in a movement that is, is being so proactive about this. And there are so many positive examples in this church family if you will be bringing your son or your daughter, or your loved one, bring them here every week. Here's just a few examples. This is Sean, our middle school pastor, entering the room in a tuxedo on a Razor scooter. I was at that event and I got to watch. These kids just love Sean. And what does he do? He tells them about Jesus. He tells them in a way that I couldn't tell him. Here's Dr. Zach. Dr. Zach has a PhD in apologetics, which is giving a defense for the Christian faith. This is a first-time event that we did over fall break with middle and high school students where they learned, is there objective truth? Yes. <laughs> Can we trust the Bible? Here's why. Where did the Bible come from? What are the different worldviews? So, I mean, there's kids in our church now who know more about secular humanism than most of the adults do, okay? This is awesome stuff that's happening, and look how engaged these kids are. Here's our Avon Kids leader, Jerry Ray. And uh, this is so cool. Uh, Avon is just breaking some records that we had been praying for, for it to grow and reaching the people of that city. And last week in the third, fourth, and fifth grade, so three grades, they had 16 total kids. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, for, for a church that, that really just got going at Easter, that's pretty amazing. But Jerry Ray, I got to have lunch with her and the Avon team this last week. Um, she was tearing up at points. She just loves those kids so much. And that is symbolic of the team here at Brownsburg as well. Tony Regato, our high school pastor who's in the middle there. You can see him connecting with the young people here. This is not all of our staff. And then in addition to many more staff, we've got dozens, hundreds actually, of you who are trained and background checked and volunteer in kids and in students. I want you to know you're part of a movement here, but this series is really saying to you, are you going to lean in? Are you going to be part of it? Are you going to make sure your loved one takes advantage of these things or not? Back to the story, verse 13. As all the men of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones. So think about this. You get woken up in the night. Enemies are at the gates. We know we're outnumbered. The king has said we're all to gather at the temple to pray. And you grab your kids... So, I mean, dads are holding babies. There's probably kids on shoulders. They're holding the hands of toddlers. The moms are there. These families are gathered before God. And notice this. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon a different man, not, not the big leader, Jehoshaphat. And th this is what happens. If you get among the people of God, God's going to speak to you not just through me or through Pastor Ron, our teaching pastor. He's going to speak to you through people in your small group and people you serve with. And this guy, Jehaziel, visualized all these families gathered wondering, I mean, is this it? Wives are wondering, is my husband going to die? Dads are wondering, are my, are my kids going to die? He says, listen, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged by this mighty army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Someone here today needs that word. You've got an adult child who's chosen a life path different from God's and you're praying for him and you just feel like there's nothing I can do. God needs to remind you today, he loves that child more than you do. As you're praying for your child growing up and you look at the trajectory and you think it looks impossible, the battle is not ours. Even as a movement, as we say, we're going all in to raise the strongest generation. This battle belongs to the Lord and then I love this, verse 16. Tomorrow, march out against them. Here's what's so cool about this story. It teaches us two things, and we need both of them. First, God can do what we cannot do. Second, God expects us to do what we can do. It's not like, hey, God's bigger, he's in charge, so everyone just go back home and go to bed. 
or in our context, God's bigger, he's in charge, so everyone, let's all just live the American dream, just live for ourselves, let our kids just kind of grow up in the soup of this culture and just kind of follow their heart and do whatever and, and hope it all turns out. No, he says, march out against them. Arm up. Fourth lifestyle habit, if you will suit up, God will show up. In other words, these men, as they're standing there, they're worshiping God. Okay, God, you're in charge. Now, go home, get your sword, get your shield, get your spear. You're to suit up, and then God will show up. So I just wonder in your life, what are you marching against? Are you marching against anything? Are there ideas that when they come into your home, you identify and you say, hmm, that idea is not, that sounds good, but it would lead to this. And we're going to instead do what God said. Are you marching against anything, any idea that says that we're God, that our feelings are God, any idea that says we don't need the word of God or we don't need the work of Jesus? Together we're suiting up as a movement. This is why whenever you look at our vision, right at the middle of it is raise the strongest generation. This is what God has called us to do. Not every church is called to the same thing, but this movement of God for the next 25 years while I'm here as the leader, Lord willing, if he gives me health, this is our primary thing, to raise the strongest generation. And the reality is we're spending a fortune, which I'm super proud of that before God. We're spending a fortune on this. If you take what we spend on our kids' environments and our students' environments and the staffing for it and... No regrets about that. It's the best investment we could make. And we've hired world-class leaders in these areas. Why? Because we want to provide for your loved ones. But here's the thing, and I hope you'll hear me on this. Um, This body that you see, it's going to die someday. It'll wear out. My soul is eternal. And because I've placed my faith in Jesus, I I know 100% I'll wake up in the presence of God. And each of us, it says, after um, our death there's a judgment where we can't work our way into heaven, but if we've trusted into Jesus, in Jesus for our salvation, God's gonna ask, what did you do with what I gave you? Okay, so hear me on this. I, I fully believe that God is gonna look me in the eyes and ask, ask me, John, I gave you unique gifts. I gave you a unique, unique opportunity, a beautiful congregation, and I called you to raise the strongest generation. Did you do your role as the lead pastor? Did you hire the right people? Did you raise the money? Did you cast the vision? And I fully believe that I will answer to God for this. And my life goal is to live my life in such a way that I can look him back in the eyes and say, Lord, you know all things. And you know I gave everything for that. But here, well, that's how I'm saying it. Why I'm saying it is this. God's not going to look me in the eyes and ask me if I drove your kid there. But he's going to ask you that. He's going to say, I placed you in a really unique church that was doing some things no one else was doing. Did you get your son there? Did you get your daughter there? You're going to give account for that. I'm going to give account for my part. If we all do our part, we're going to see God do miracles. And he's already doing it. Here's just one picture of some of our high school students. Uh, I was in tears a week ago today. I guess you're not surprised about that now. But (laughs) a week ago, after our guest speaker was here to kind of open our eyes, his team was with him. And so we had some of our team meet with his team. And we had about half a dozen of our high school students in the room. And the purpose was this. I wanted our team to unroll. Here's what we have planned. Way above and beyond. Stuff no other church is doing. Here's what we have planned. And I wanted to ask these international experts and about six of our own high school students, will this stuff work? And as I saw the hunger in the eyes of our young people saying, we want to be equipped to be missionaries to our high school. We want to go to a five-day intensive training. We want this stuff. And then as I saw, we actually have the team to do this. This is happening. Like this vision that started four years ago that we wouldn't just be a big church that kids come to church and they are part of the two out of three in the nation who drift away from Christianity, that we would end that trend. You guys, it's, it's starting. Like the play is running And I just want to make sure you don't miss out on it as a parent or a grandparent. So how do you make sure you don't? Well, a week from today, we've got this parenting roundtable. It's a great one-time event to be part of. 
even probably more importantly would be our ongoing parenting small groups. About 300 of you parents have signed up to join a parenting small group. If you're not yet in a small group or even if you want to take a break from your normal group and join a parenting group for a while, you can just do all of that at cp.news. It's like a website, like cp.com, but cp.news. You can also sign up, make sure you get our regular uh, email correspondence because we've got a lot of new stuff coming out. I don't want you to miss out on it. Also, if you're here and God's kind of turning your heart about serving or about giving toward this, you can do those at cp.news as well. Verse 17, I'm almost done. You will not even need to fight. <laughs> I love that. Like you think of all the lies that will come to your daughter or your son. God says, you don't have to outsmart all those lies, but take your positions. Have you taken a position? Have you taken a position? And then God says, if you'll go out to the battlefield and you'll line up and you'll be suited up, then you just stand there and you watch the Lord's victory. What does this look like? It just looks like praying intentionally one day at a time, one week at a time. Lord, I don't know how to shift her identity. I don't know how to get him around friends who are also followers of Jesus, but show me how. And as I'm at church, I'm going to be intentional meeting people and asking how. Guys, there's incredible families here to learn from, incredibly uh, gifted pastors who are way smarter than I am about this stuff for you guys to learn from. Have you taken your position? And then God says this, do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow for the Lord is with you. In other words, we're not just going to sit back and play defense. We're going to play offense. So here's what we're going to do. I'm about to pray and I just want to give you a chance to take a position, to suit up. If you're here and you're deciding today, I will be a spiritual leader. Maybe you have been and you're recommitting. Maybe you haven't been and you're saying it starts today. If you're here and you're saying, I will be a spiritual leader, would you just stand with me? Only if that's true of you. You're saying, I'm, I'm going to be a spiritual leader. Stand with me, spiritual leaders. Moms, dads, grandparents, high school students, college students, where you say, I'm going to lead myself. I'm going to be a leader to my peers kids who say, I'm going to be a spiritual leader to my little brothers and sisters or my older brothers and sisters. Let's just take our position. Let's suit up. Let me pray this for you. Father, I just praise you that we serve an almighty God, the God of heaven. You're bigger than every army. We already know how the story ends, Jesus. You win. You're king of kings. You're Lord of lords. But God, we acknowledge that right now we're in the battle. And our battle isn't one day, it's one lifetime. And so, Lord, we just commit to you today that we'll do what we can with what you've given to us as a movement and as individuals and as families. God, we do pray over the hearts of our sons and daughters from newborns all the way up. God, we pray, please help them find their identity in you. Please help them find their truth in your word. Please make us a people where they experience unconditional love here unlike anywhere else. And God, would you just use them, not only protect them from evil, but launch them out into this world to do a mighty work for you, a supernatural work for you, a world-shaking work for you. Use us to play our role. Each of us have a role. And we commit to that today. The battle is yours, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if today's episode encouraged you or helped you in any way, we would invite you to keep following Jesus with us. We send out a daily video text devotional. You can receive that and you can learn how to gather with us online or in person for our weekend services. All of that is available over at cp.news. That's the letter C, the letter P.news on your phone or desktop or tablet browser. Thanks again for joining us and please join me again next week for the Connection Point Podcast.